0: No country has ever prospered that failed to put its own interests first. We will no longer surrender this country or its people to the false song of globalism.
1: New Right Network presents Right Now, the featured podcast of New Right Network, mobilizing, countering the left energizing the right new right network home of the new right movement
0: mary Magdalene, new right network the fresh voice of new media here with the right now podcast i am here with rachel bruno who is a writer a speaker an advocate for families victimized by cps
1: hi rachel can you tell us a little more about yourself hi mary thank you for having me on said my name is rachel bruno um i am a speaker and a writer i have an mba from pepperdine university and i had plans of starting my own business with my husband before my life completely took a left turn in 2015 when both my children were seized by cps
0: Uh, yeah on that subject of that did they give you any reasons at all that at least reasons that made any sense or any reason at all as to why they do this? Well, uh, my
1: son at the time was seven weeks old and he was taken to, I took him to the hospital after six hours of nonstop crying. He would not eat and he was in the care of a nanny the night before. I woke up to him screaming at about four o'clock in the morning and she told me that he was gassy. That she had just fed him and he was gassy. So I said, okay, you know, fair enough. Babies get gassy. And at that point, I was home alone. My husband was out of town on a business trip. And I had my older son, who was 20 months old, right across the hallway as my seven week old son was screaming. So I didn't wanna wake up my 20 month old. So I told her, you know, he's obviously not settling down. So why don't you go home early and I'll take it from here? So I took my son, I unswaddled him. I gave him skin to skin and that seemed to soothe him, seemed to calm him down. So I thought to myself, okay, no, you just wanted your mommy. And I dozed off till about seven o'clock in the morning where he started screaming again. And I figured, okay, you're hungry. So I tried to nurse him and he refused. He would not latch on. And he was just crying, extremely uncomfortable. And again, I was sort of jaded thinking to myself, you know, gassy, colic, what is wrong with this baby so for six hours I tried to feed him I tried to put him down for a nap and nothing was working I checked for fevers I checked for rashes I mean anything you could think of you know and dr. Google helping me out here
0: yeah (laughs)
1: until finally I called my mom and I'm like I need to take this baby to the doctor like he's not eating it's not normal something is wrong I don't know what's wrong at that point my mom was with her husband who was having cataract surgery And my husband was out of town. So I'm like, you know, please find somebody to pick him up and come with me. So she came to my house to take care of my older son, who was 20 months old. I called the pediatrician and the receptionist told me that he wouldn't be available until three o'clock that afternoon. And I told her, no, my son has been screaming since four o'clock this morning. I need to see somebody. Mm -hmm. So I told her the symptoms and she said, okay, then take him to the emergency room. So I went along with my mom, my 20-month-old son, my seven-week-old son, and we all drove to the hospital. And by that time, he had stopped crying. His eyes were closed, looked to me like he was sleeping. And I'm like, great, no, the doctors are going to think I'm this overreacting mother. (laughs) And I get to the emergency room, check all his vitals, everything seemed fine. But the pediatrician told me to lay him down on the bed and started walking away. So I'm like, okay, I'm probably gonna get Ben and drill or something. He stopped at the doorway and just laser focused on my son looking at the bed and the whole room was silent. And for about 15, 20 seconds he observed and then he started walking back towards the bed and went right to his head right behind his left ear. And he said, did you feel this? I said, no. So he grabbed my my finger and he put it right there. He's like, do you feel that bulge right there? I I do. Like that's fluid that's leaking from your son's brain. So I'm just, I'm in shock, right? I'm like, okay, what does that mean? He's like, it could be spinal cerebral fluid or it can be blood. We need to do a CT scan right now to see what kind of fluid it is. So at that point when he says that, like, eight nurses and staff rush into that room. They start intubating my son. They start putting a bunch of monitors on him, a bunch of things on him. And they. I'm on, the, I'm on the bed, I'm holding him, and they start pushing us down to the CT room. And on our way to the CT room, his right arm starts twitching. Now, just a little background on myself. I have seizures. I've had epilepsy since I was about five years old. And that's one of the main reasons I got a nanny was because the main trigger to my seizure is sleep deprivation or interrupted sleep. So my doctor told me I needed to get those eight hours of sleep. And if you have a newborn, you ain't sleeping. (laughs) No,
0: No, you're not. That's the truth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that's why I had a nanny to begin with. But when I was going down that CT room or going down that hallway and left side of the brain, right arm twitching, that was the first light bulb moment for me. Oh my gosh, she's having a seizure. Mm -hmm. And my first instinct was you know it's genetic I must have passed this on to my son and I said a little prayer right then and there I'm like god please spare my son from having to live with this like I have for my whole life
0: yeah it's hard it's hard to live with yeah. things of that nature yeah
1: right so that was just enough time to get to the CT room the doctor said you know we'll call you when the results are in so I go tell my mom who was in outside you know didn't know what was going on I tell her what the doctor said, and we're texting our families in Brazil, our friends here in the United States, my husband who was on an airplane. I'm texting, Mike, I don't know what's going on. So the results come back. The doctor takes me to the back room and he says, this is very serious. I'm like, okay. It's like the fluid that's leaking from his head is blood. And it was a cranial fracture. Your son has a cranial fracture and an intracerebral blood hemorrhage again, my head is spinning. And at that point, I didn't really connect the dots, you know, like fracture, like the bone was literally broken. Right. I didn't register at that point. I'm just thinking, you know, he's a newborn, the cranium isn't completely formed yet. So maybe one of those flaps popped open. Was it an aneurysm that caused the bleeding? You know, I'm still thinking seizures. I'm like, what the heck is this? I had no idea. So the doctor just said, you know, we're going to have to take him in for emergency surgery right now signing all the liability forms. Are you against blood transfusions? I'm like, I don't care what you have to do, whatever you have to do to save my son, do it. Right. So off they will. I would him. too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically. So off they go, seven weeks old into brain surgery. And we're waiting, waiting. Three hours later, the surgeon comes back. It's like, OK, everything went well clinically. We were able to drain the blood and fix the fracture. And of course, my first question, is he OK? Is there going to be brain damage? And the doctor says unfortunately he's too young you know we really don't know right he's in a medically induced coma right now because he started having seizures after the surgery and due to his young age we really don't know whether he's going to survive the next 48 hours
0: oh wow that that had to be hard that had to be hard to hear what what happened next
1: so he's in the picu he's in the the room. I asked my friend to come pick up my mom and my son who had been with me all day and they go home. I say a little prayer for my son again. My God, you know, please don't take him away from me. Right now. If I have to dedicate the rest of my life to taking care of my son, I will, but don't take him away from me. And I felt God's presence at that moment. Tell me he's mine. I gave him to you. Nobody's going to take him away from you. So I had peace at that point peace that surpasses all understanding I sit down by myself waiting for my husband to come back to to town and I hear a knock on the door and it's a man in uniform and a woman with a clipboard what uniform
0: what you said a man in uniform
1: police uniform police police
0: officer okay a police officer knocked on the door then okay
1: yes and I said Mrs. Bruno yeah can we speak to you he said, sure. I thought it was weird. What is a police officer doing in the hospital? But first words out of his mouth is what happened to your son was worse than getting hit by a bullet. And we are here to help you figure out how this happened to your son. Will you speak to us? I said, okay. So in my mind, you know, we're here to help you. Mm-hmm. So obviously he's thinks it's the nanny, right? I'm like, why would you be asking for my help if you think I did this? Exactly. So that was my naive mind at the time. And I sat down with them and told them the whole saga from 4 a.m. until I brought him to the hospital, told him about the nanny, told him about my seizures, told him in the house, my husband was out of town. Then he starts asking me, well, why did it take you so long to bring him to the hospital? I said, because I didn't know what was going on. You know, she right. told me he was gassy. And he said, okay, why did you bring him to a hospital in Orange County when you live in LA County? I said, because this is the children's hospital I knew. And he's just jotting things down. And then the social worker asked me, do you have any other children? But I do. And where is he right now? And he's at my mom's house. Is it okay if we go by to see if he's okay? And I said, he's probably sleeping by now. And she said, we're not gonna wake him. We just wanna make sure he's okay. So again, I'm thinking, you no, know, these people are here to help me. I have nothing to hide. So I call my mom, give the address, tell her that the social worker is on her way. So at that point, the social worker leaves the hospital and the police officer is with me. He asked me to wait for the detectives, that the detectives are on their way, if I would be willing to speak to the detectives. I said, okay, sure. And between me waiting for the detectives to arrive, my husband arrives from the airport. And he goes straight to the hospital. And at that point, the police officer tells me to go wait in one room, closes the door, takes my husband to another room. So hindsight... So they split the two of you up. Right. So now we kind of know what's going on. But at that point, I still had no idea what was going on. Yeah. The detectives finally show up at about 1130 at night. And they interrogate me till about two o'clock in the morning. And maybe ask they, me... Wait, they times. interrogate you. Well, they don't call it that, right? They say they are going not. to interview you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and they're recording it, and they're asking me, you know, all the details. They asked me maybe two or three questions about the nanny, but everything else is about me, right? Is it possible you had a seizure? What do you think happened? Um, how did this happen? And I just kept saying, I don't know. I wasn't So they there. were
0: focusing all their attention on you yes. and, and not your nanny.
1: Right. So at 2 a.m. I'm thinking, okay, I need to go to sleep, right? I definitely don't want to have a seizure now. (laughs) So if you could, we can continue this on later if you would like, but I need to go get to sleep. So the detectives complied, you know, gave me their business cards, their phone numbers, said they'd be getting in touch with me. I said, okay. And at that point, something had already happened, which my husband was aware of, but he didn't tell me because he knew I was already under all the stress that I had been that day. So he told me to go to sleep. And later that day, at about 10 a.m., I wake up and he's just staring at me. You know, my first instinct is to look over at the baby, like he's, he's alive, right? The machines are beeping; right. he's good. I'm like, what's, what's going on? And he tells me they took David, which is my oldest son. They took was, him? Yes. And I said, they took him who, where? What? How? Right. And I called my mom. My mom said the social worker showed up with a police officer at her house at 2 o'clock in the morning. And they walk in the house. They take a tour of the house, open the refrigerator door, see if the house is clean. At 2 o'clock
0: in the morning?
1: At 2 o'clock in the morning. So the social worker had left the hospital probably at around 9 when she finished interviewing me. And they showed up at my mom's house at 2 o'clock in the morning. So she goes, walks through the house, and then she asks where my son is. My mom opens the door. She immediately turns on the light and wakes up my son. My son is all happy, you now, and excited that he's at grandma's house, and it's two o'clock in the morning, wide awake. Right. And she looks at him, no signs of abuse, and then tells my mom, we're going to take him. And my mom's okay. like, no, you're not. <laughs> well, Right. <laughs> And she said, well, if you don't give him to us, we're going to have to arrest you. So the police officer is right there and knows very well my mom has not committed any crimes. Right. There is no warrant. There is no court order. There is absolutely So they had no, nothing.
0: absolutely no, wait a minute. They had absolutely no paperwork at all stating yeah. that there was any, even a, a reason or a hint of a reason as to why they needed you to take your son from you.
1: Right. So, but they're telling my mom she's going to get arrested. And my mom says, okay, if I go to jail, do I take him with me? And the social worker said, no, he's going to go to foster care. And you won't be eligible to be his caretaker because you're going to have a record. So at that point, my dad is trying to call lawyers at two o'clock in the morning. Nobody's answering, of course. And she keeps telling my mom I'm going to call for backup if you don't give him to us. We're calling back up right now. So she's on the phone. The police officers are on their walkie talkies. So, you know, they're using all these intimidation tactics. Yes. And at that point, my son is wide awake and he's starting to notice, you know, this is weird, what's going on. He starts crying, you know, and my mom is like, I, I have no choice, you know. So my mom just gave my son to the social worker, strapped him into the car, to the social worker's car, and off they drove into the night without telling us where she was taking him, why she was taking him, what were we supposed to do, just gave my mom her business card and said, you can call me tomorrow. So when I wake up at 10 a.m. and my husband is there flustered because the social worker is not answering the phone, the supervisor is not answering the phone, we have no idea where my son is, and we're at the hospital with my other son still in the medically induced coma. So we divided conquer. I tried calling attorneys and I finally get to one who was willing to see me that day. And I go talk to him and I go into his office. I'm laughing. I'm like, this is a joke, right? Like, where's my son and where do I pick him up? Mm -hmm. And he tells me to sit down. He's like, you have no idea what you're in for. This is not a joke. And I'm like, I know where they took your son. I know where he is. I'm like, well, what do you mean? How can they just take my son? Like, this is a criminal investigation. What happened to your son is criminal to my seven week old son. If they decide, well, it was, but right, yeah, he's like, if they decide to charge you, you're looking at 15 years in jail, hundred thousand dollar bail. And I'm like, I didn't do this. And he's like, I know, I believe you. And I'm like, what happened to the Constitution? What happened to innocent until proven guilty? What about the nanny? Aren't they gonna go investigate? and he said, well, this is family court. They don't follow the constitution. Family court. Yes. They don't have to follow the constitution. They can do whatever they deem is in the best interest of the child. And again, I'm like, how the heck is picking up my son at two o'clock in the morning in the best interest of the child and ripping him away from his grandma's house where he was safe, where he was sleeping, where there were no signs of abuse whatsoever. And again, I did not do this. How can they just take my kids away without any proof? And he's like, well, that's, that's how it works in family court. And I'm like, okay, so what can I do? He told me, I'm not even going to bother fighting for you. Cause if you put up a fight, they are not going to give your kids back. They're going to say that Wait, you are putting <laughs> your lawyer, yes. your lawyer. Yes. Said he's not fi- going to fight for you because they were not gonna give my kids back. Like it's too big a risk because of what happened to the baby and it's criminal investigation, they are not gonna give your kids back to you. And if they're under two years old and they go into foster care, they can be legally adopted by the foster family if the case lasts longer than six months. And they will make it last longer than six months. So I'm just floored. I'm like, what adoption, like what? without ever going to trial with nothing. He's like, yep, yeah, nothing. I'm like, this is crazy. So I'm like, so what, what can I do? He's like, your saving grace is that your husband was out of town when this happened. So technically, you know, he wasn't even at the crime scene. Mm-hmm. His hands are clean. So I'm going to ask the judge to give sole custody to your husband. That way they don't even risk putting them in foster care. But when they do that, they're probably going to kick you out of the house. Yeah. So at that point, what are my choices, right? Risk putting up a fight and having my children be placed with strangers in foster care or give them to my husband and not have contact with my children. And at that point, I mean, I really had no choice. You no, know, they're with their father and you know, it's in God's hands. I'm like, what can I do? Mm-hmm. You no, know, they're, they're, at least they're going to be with their father So, before that- Is that what ended up happening? That is what ended up happening at the hearing. So So they did give
0: your husband sole custody of your children.
1: Right. And they kicked me out of the house. And I never got to say a word in that courtroom. You know, the hearing probably lasted about 10 minutes where the lawyers stand up and present the quote evidence to the judge, you know, which is really just a (laughs) one-sided report that my son was injured. And that was it. They never mentioned the nanny. They, they didn't let me speak. And the lawyer said, you know, give to the father. And all the lawyers were in agreement except for social services. They objected to giving the children to the father. And by the grace of God, the judge overruled and said, no, the children will be with their father. Mrs. Bruno, you have 24 hours to vacate your home and a caseworker will be contacting you with a safety plan and visitation. And that was it. Walked out of that courtroom crying with my mom and in disbelief, still in disbelief that this is happening, Mm -hmm. but went home, packed up all my stuff, sent it to my neighbor's house, had all my clothes, all my shoes, toothbrushes, I mean everything. There could be no sign of me in that house. And gave it all to my next door neighbor The caseworker contacted me telling me I will be getting seven hours monitored visitation a week with both my sons. Seven hours a week. So I went from, you know, a stay at home mom 24 seven to seven hours a week. I was court ordered to take child abuse classes, parenting classes and individual counseling. And that was it.
0: (laughs) Wait, what happened to the nanny? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing Nothing ever happened. Didn't nobody check in on the nanny? Nothing.
1: They did check in on her. You know, my attorney told me to get a private investigator at the time to see if we can find any red flags or anything about the nanny. No red flags, except for the fact that she was married to a police officer. And they did go talk to her. Social services went to her house. Her daughter had a bruise under her eye. Her one-year-old daughter had a bruise and they asked her, why does your daughter have a bruise? Oh, she fell off the bed when she was sleeping. Okay, they believed her, and they asked what happened that morning, and she told them that my son was perfectly well when I told her to go home. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, I'm paying you to take care of my son. Why would I send you home early if my son was perfectly well? Right and they asked her to take a polygraph, which she did, and it came back inconclusive. They asked her to retake it and she refused. So that's the extent of their investigation with her. So after she refused to take the polygraph the second time, they never contacted her again. But me, on the other hand, I got my both my children taken away. I was kicked out of the house. I had to take all these classes and I was living in the hospital for a certain period of time. They wouldn't let me live with my mom because my mom was with my son when he was seized. My husband was given sole custody so I couldn't go back to my house. So I had nowhere to go. I'm an only child. My whole family's in Brazil. My husband's family's in Brazil. And one night my mom asked my pastor's wife to go to the hospital to pray for my son. And she went there, she prayed for my son, and then she looked at me, she said, I've been praying, and God told me you're coming home with me. Oh so at that point I went to go live with the pastor and his the pastor's wife. And he was actually out of the country writing a book. So it was just me and her. And you know, God couldn't have sent me a better friend at that point in time to walk with me through this craziness that I was going through. Yeah. And so what-
0: What is it that ended up happening? Do you have your children back? What's happening
1: now? After it was 40 days and 40 nights (laughs) that they kicked me out of the house. (laughs) So on the 40th day, we had a hearing. And my attorney told me to not even bother coming that day because the criminal investigation was still open. The status of the dependency case hadn't changed. So don't even bother coming today. I won't waste mine. Don't waste your time told my husband. He's like, I don't care what he says. We're going. So we go to the courthouse. About two hours later, my attorney calls me. Where are you? I'm at the courthouse. Like, okay, I'm on my way. Might be able to do something today. Then he hangs up on me. (laughs) So start texting everybody, calling everybody, everybody start praying. I don't know what's going to happen. Something's going to happen. So he walks in. I go hug him. Like, don't hug me. I can't make you any promises. Goes into the courthouse, goes into the room comes back with a bunch of papers, initial this, sign this, initial this. Like at this point, I don't know what I'm signing. I don't know what I'm initialing. I'm just trusting I mean, God and my lawyer. So he didn't he didn't give you a chance to read any of it first? He did. But I mean, I, I was, you know, quickly going through it and he was sort of underlining Rush- things that were inconsistent, right? Or making me initial certain things, correcting certain things and went back in there. Then about three hours later, he comes back with a full report. He's like, if you're willing to sign, This report, the way it's written, there's nothing in here that says you did this. There's no admission of guilt. This is just the timeline, the medical history, the social workers' reports, you know, all the services that you've accomplished. If you're willing to sign this today, they will let you go home. So at this point, you know, if they told me to chop my leg off, I would have done it, right? I just Mm -hmm. wanted to be home with my sons. So I signed it, and my lawyer said, I've been doing this for 23 years. And I have never seen them let anybody go home. You definitely have a higher power working for you. Wow. And I said, amen. (laughs) So I went home that day and they put us on what they call family maintenance, where a social worker goes to your house once a month Mm -hmm. and writes the reports. And at the end of the six months, the social worker's recommendation was that my case be closed. So So the case was closed six months later. I was still ordered to take all the finish, the child abuse classes, the parenting classes, the individual counseling. And the criminal investigation went on until July of 2016. So that was almost one year for a criminal investigation and six months for the dependency case. So everything was closed out in July of 2016. And I had my children black, I could live my life as normal but just something inside of me. I'm like, I can't be quiet knowing what I know. Right. You know, and what I witnessed in that child abuse class. You know, when I went to that child abuse class, I'm thinking to myself, what the heck am I going to do in a child abuse class? I'm going to be in there with a bunch of alcoholics, drug addicts, domestic violence abusers. What the heck am I going to do in a child abuse class? Right. And when I get there, everybody is in the same boat as I am. Nobody. Wait, they... (laughs) say that again. They, would, they were in the same boat as you,
0: meaning, yeah. meaning most of them didn't even do anything to get there.
1: Nobody had intentionally abused their child. There were cases where an 18 year old slipped in the bathtub while giving his baby a bath and broke the baby's arm. Child abuse. Ah. Another case where the mom was at the park swinging the baby on a swing and maybe must have pulled his leg too hard child abuse, another case where a 15-year-old stepdaughter was posting naked pictures of herself on Instagram. And the stepfather took away the phone, took away the internet, took away the car, grounded her over the weekends. And one day, when he was on his graveyard shift, scrolling through, there she was posting naked pictures of herself through her friend's account, and grown men asking sexual favors of these teenagers. So he gets home to his stepdaughter and he spanks her. He's like, I don't know what else to do with you, right? I've taken everything away. You are not allowed to do this. So he spanked her. She calls the police, said that my stepdad hit me. He gets arrested. All the other smaller siblings get removed from the home. He went to jail for 10 days and there he was in the child abuse class fighting to get the other three children back. So I'm witnessing all this stuff going on. And I I had no idea that this system existed in this country, right? I'm like, we are in the United States of America. Constitution is the law of the land. You are innocent until proven guilty. Mm -hmm. And when it first happened to me, I'm like, you know, this must be some terrible mistake, right? I mean, I must be an exception that this happened to me. I was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, this just happened to me. Right but as now, i'm witnessing all these stories i'm like no like, once is a mistake twice is a coincidence three times now we have a pattern
0: well i don't believe in coincidences at all right. so <laughs> here's the question so all of this ex all of this this experience that you've had plus going to these classes and finding out that you're not alone and you're not the only one mm-hmm. um uh led you to become an advocate um, against CPS. What kind of things as an advocate have you found out?
1: Well, just that, you know, the more research I did, as usual, follow the money, right? It's all about the money and the federal incentives that states receive for removing children and putting them up for adoption. So when I said it again, Yeah, the states receive federal funding to remove children and get them adopted.
0: So when my son,
1: through the bill, through the law called ASPA, Adoptions and Safe Federal Act, which was signed in 1997 by Bill Clinton.
0: Well, that doesn't surprise me.
1: (laughs) Yes. So when they took my son to the shelter... Right when they seized my son at two o'clock in the morning and they took him to the children's shelter. They released him temporarily to my mom because she was a public school teacher and she was already fingerprinted, she was already in the system. At that point, before I even had a hearing, they asked my mom if she would adopt both my sons. And my mom nearly fell off her chair. She's like, no, give them back to their mom to whom they rightfully belong. And the social worker said, well, we don't know what the judge is going to order at the hearing. And if the judge orders the children be removed from the home, will you adopt these children? You will receive $670 a month per child, plus the food stamps, plus what we call in California WIC, all the social welfare benefits that we have here in our state. And my mom is like, I don't want your money. And the social worker, well, you know, this is how, this is what you qualify for. We're going to help you, right? Again, that famous... (laughs) <laughs> we're here to help you. <laughs> and yeah. my mom is like, can I save the checks for the lawyers? And the social worker, well, pretend I didn't hear that. But my mom did end up signing the papers that she would adopt my children if they were ordered to be removed from the home. So again, it's all about the money. Does states receive anywhere from $2,000 to $6,000 per child? thousand to six thousand dollars a
0: child to get them removed from their homes
1: right <sighs> yeah so I don't know I mean, No,
0: that- and I was, I'd ask you another question I spoke to another gentleman who had experience with family court and he's talking about state the state receiving federal funds in return for making uh, making a man putting a man in a position where he has to pay child support right (laughs) so did that come into play at all as well
1: for your husband or your case yeah in my case no thank god no because we were married so there was no division you know or technically that we had to pay child support to each other
0: so they didn't have to pay child support to the state even? No. <laughs> okay. Because sometimes that happens.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah. I've seen cases and, you know, in the child abuse class, there was maybe about 20, 20 to 30 of us. Mm-hmm. And I'm still in touch with a lot of them. It's been four years later and only three of us have gotten our children back.
0: 20 to 30 people and only three of them have gotten their
1: children back. Yes. And I know one of the cases, one of whom I'm still very close to, at the time, we had the same attorney, we had the same caseworker, we had the same judge, we took our sons to the same hospital, (laughs) and we were in the same child abuse class together.
0: So I was still
1: in touch with her, and she had her parental rights terminated in October of 2017. Why? Just because they can. You know, the they never proved anything. They never proved that she did anything, but they keep talking to your exes, right? Disgruntled exes. Oh boy. They will dig up dirt on you, anything they can find about you and use that against you. And I mean, one of the children, her oldest daughter had a different biological father than the other children. The father has never been a part of the children's lives. He actually had a warrant out for his arrest in California so he moved, went to another state so that he wouldn't be arrested. Well, right. <laughs> and the judge knows this. The social worker knows this. Yet they order that the daughter gets sent out of state to be with the father. But they won't give him back to the mother without ever proving anything. Okay,
0: so no burden of proof, no nothing.
1: No, no. My attorney at the time said that the burden of proof is... He explained it like 51%, 51 versus 49. So if the judge believes 51% of what social services has told him, then that's it. He doesn't have to hear your (laughs) side. So there's no confronting your accusers. No. Nope. Nope. They can do anything they want. And her rights were terminated. She got pregnant while the case was open which is not the smartest thing to do, granted. But she got pregnant, and they took the baby from the labor room. What? Why? They called it neglect. How? It was just born. Nah, nothing. The baby was born perfectly healthy, and just the fact that she had an open case gave them the supposed right. It's not really right. It is illegal. They're not allowed to do that. But... They are above the law. Apparently they can do whatever the heck they want. Again, in the name of what is in the best interest of the child. So they tell the judge, you know, we're still investigating this mom. Her children have been removed and we think this baby is in danger. So they took away the baby and gave him to a lesbian couple at the time. A uh, Yikes. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: I spoke to a Well, she's an angel mom. I spoke to her. Mm -hmm. And I found out that her granddaughter had been removed from her home as well. Mm -hmm. All sorts of things said about her that were never proven. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Nothing like that. Yeah. Um, The daughter was, before her death, the daughter was jumping through hoops Mm-hmm. Just like you. Yep. Trying to do everything they're supposed to. Yep. <coughs> and then after her death, so, and they kept stringing her along, right? right? They just kept stringing her along. And then after her death, they took the baby from her grandmother. And with she had a lawyer that did just probably about the same things that you, your lawyer right. Right. did uh they went to court, he told them not to talk. they went through a whole procedure and then mm-hmm. come to find out it was an adoption procedure yeah and then and the the lawyer told them this is not your case, this is not your case, your case is next. we're gonna get to talk and then all of a sudden the doors were closed, court was over, and it was time to go home. That sounds familiar to you is this a a a an epidemic a nationwide problem it definitely is
1: me? yes absolutely and, and i will claim ignorance i mean i never would have believed this if had if it didn't happen to me right and i know right. so many people who i tell my story and they are in shock right right they're like this this can't be happening like the same questions we have what what happened to the constitution right people would exactly. assume That they're going to do their due diligence, that it's going to be investigated, that something is actually proven before they take away somebody's children. Right. And that's not the way it works at all. Like the allegation is the proof as far as they're concerned.
0: Okay. So here's my question. Have you turned over the rocks? Have you turned over the rocks? Have you looked on the underbelly? Have you found out what's going on? behind the scenes, do you know what they're doing with these children? Do you know why they are doing the things they're doing? What have you found out?
1: It's a really dark rabbit hole. If you start to research and you go down this rabbit hole. I mean, I thank God that my kids were not placed in foster care. And you know that I got them back. But I know cases where the children are sexually abused while in foster care. I mean, I know a case where the child is a special needs child and he was taken from his mom. Social services took him to Disney World, supposedly, out of state. And when he got back from Disney World, he told his mom that his sphincter hurt. Oh no. And I'm like, what five-year-old knows what a sphincter is? Right. First of all. And I mean, even if my son, for example, did have something in that area, he would probably use another word. Right. Yeah. Probably say <laughs> and, but.
0: Right. Like you the word but.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and she was having a supervised visit. The supervisor heard the child say this in front of her. And the mother's like, that is concerning, don't you think? And the supervisor, yes, we will get a medical evaluation done you know, said everything that she's supposed to say to the mother. And then they when they go do. yeah. And then when they went to the court hearing and the judge, the mother says, you know, this is what my son told me. And he goes and asks the supervisor, the supervisor denied everything, said she never heard that. She never saw this child oh, wow. say anything like that. And I mean, they, it's really dirty. I mean, it goes into pedophilia. It goes into human trafficking. I mean, you name it. I mean, even Secretary Pompeo mm-hmm. came out with a report. That a huge percentage I can't remember specifically what the percentage was, but a huge percentage of children found in human trafficking come from foster care.
0: Okay, so they're basically what is going on here is that they are taking these children from because let me ask, let me tell you this when i when I spoke to this angel mom, she told me that this child was taken away. Mm-hmm. The, then her visitation was canceled that mm-hmm. she they adopted her to somebody from walmart okay mm-hmm. walmart you mentioned disney i i you look like you know a few things about walmart as well
1: mhm
0: <laughs> can you can you can you tell me what you know about that i don't know anything about walmart but
1: definitely about disney <laughs> so about disney then what do you know about disney well there's a lot of people You know, even from the actors themselves who have come out and spoken about the influences of Hollywood and Mm -hmm. of Disneyland and being in that environment where they do abuse you sexually, you know, and they will tell you, you know, if you want to get where you want to be, as far as fame is concerned, as far as money is concerned, then these are the things that are done to you.
0: Oh. And,
1: yeah, I don't know. I've spoken to other people who talk about pedophiles and pedophilia in general, you know, it's totally sickening and in a way counterintuitive, but in a way not that if you're a pedophile, you're going to go to where the children are. Exactly. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's really sickening. I mean, it's really disheartening to think, you know, I've taken my sons to Disneyland. I've taken my kids to things that are geared to children. And to think that pedophiles are the ones running these things mm-hmm. is uh, it's sick. <laughs> yeah, and,
0: and to think that maybe our court systems, and even I was told one time hospitals uh, are being recruited for t- to tell, especially with young unmarried mothers, is right. what I'd heard, that uh, they earmark those babies. <laughs> For removal. Yeah. In the hospital, while this, this young unwed mother's having this baby, they're targeted that, for removal. Is this right. something that,
1: that you've heard? Have you heard this? Can you confirm? I've heard you know that they definitely target people that are on the poverty line. You know, so that does immediately put single mothers at risk. Mm-hmm. People who are often uneducated which means, you know, they don't have the best of jobs. They're not educated. They don't have the financial means to fight the system. And they know that. Right. So, I mean, I am, I'm definitely one of the lucky ones that I did have the education. I did have the financial means to be able to fight back. And after our case was closed, I did hire a civil rights attorney. Oh, good. I did sue them back. So I sued Orange County. I sued LA County. I sued the Children's Hospital and all the social workers, the supervisors, the detectives, the sheriffs. I mean, everyone involved. Yeah, yeah, did you win? (laughs) I did.
0: We settled
1: settled out of court in December of 2018. Awesome. That's great. Um, Yes. So, but I mean, you know, during the discovery process is when we really see... All the stuff that they do behind the scenes,
0: right? Can you right, can you elaborate a little on 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 that? And are you allowed to speak on that?
1: Yes, now Tell I can because it's the civil suit.
0: Good. Tell us what's going on behind the scenes, because you know discovery opens it all. up. And they have right. to show everything. So right. what happened behind the scenes of your case?
1: Well, starting with the social worker and the police officer, right that night when they came to speak to me. Mm-hmm. before they even spoke to me, as you know, the, the doctors are mandated to reporters. We found out it was a public health nurse who called the CPS line, right? The tip line to say that we had an infant that was injured and she reiterated everything that I had told her to the social worker. So the social worker, before she ever spoke to me, she texted her supervisor and we have the text messages and she's telling her supervisor i'm on my way to the hospital uh, infant with a cranial fracture supposedly in the care of a nanny per mom and then the supervisor texts back and says omg do you think it was the nanny and the social worker texts back no think mom so before even speaking to so me,
0: she she had some she she settled the case in her mind
1: before she ever came up to see you there Yes. Oh, wow. What else happened? So that was already that. And then when she decided to seize my son at two o'clock in the morning, right? They did so without a warrant.
0: The social worker herself was able to make the decision to seize
1: your son. It was the detective, actually. So again, while I was waiting, the police officer told me to wait for the detectives that they were on their way. Uh Uh-huh. So in that time of on their way is when they were communicating with each other and the detective is the one who made the order to seize both children, to place a hospital hold on the seven-week-old and to seize the 20-month-old.
0: Both of them, regardless of of anything, that there was nothing, no reason at all for
1: them to have uh, even touched your children. Right, and before even speaking to me, before speaking to the nanny, before speaking to the doctors, before anything. So, so it was already, arranged. Yeah, it was all right. everything was done behind the scenes, you know, and here we are playing the game, and they're interviewing us, and we're staying up till two o'clock in the morning, and my husband took them to our house. They took pictures of our house. I mean, they you know, they did the whole theater with us. And it turns out that you know, and that's where I found out that they spoke to the nanny one time and that she failed the polygraph and we deposed the detective, we deposed the social worker. They basically admitted that, yeah, we did not get a warrant. Yes, we know we're supposed to get a warrant, but we didn't.
0: So they broke the law too, and now, yes. they're, and now they're admitting to it. Did anything criminally happen to these people for breaking, they broke the law?
1: No, my, of course they my did. <laughs> attorney at the time said the best thing that could happen to a social worker is to get sued because Wait, she the best thing. Yes, because they get promoted.
0: <laughs> they get promoted when they get sued for breaking the law.
1: Yes, because they are well, the reason they got sued is because they were out on the field, right? They become a liability if they're out on the field. So let's promote them to a desk job. <laughs> okay,
0: so now they're now they now they have even more authority to do the kinds right. of things they did in the field, uh, that's not more of a liability? I, I don't understand right. how a promotion isn't more of a liability. But anyways, tell us
1: <laughs> more about what went on behind the scenes of your case. So I mean, yeah, that's just the, depos- the depositions. I mean, my attorney asked them, do you know what the Fourth Amendment is? And they're like, uh, no. Can you refresh my memory on that? So, Everybody my attorney should know what the amendments are. I know, <laughs> and especially them. if you have the power to take away somebody's kid. <laughs> exactly. So, I'm like, do you know what the Fourteenth Amendment is? No, I've heard about it, but no, I don't really know what it is. <laughs> and I mean, these are law enforcement. These are the detectives. These are the police officers. These, these are people are the working workers. in, in,
0: in basically working in the legal, legally illegal field. right a field controlled by legalities right and they don't know
1: what the law of the land says nope nope they (sighs) only know the bureaucracy of the land apparently (laughs) okay and what else when they seized my son and they took him away from my mom's house they took him to the county's shelter the children's shelter where he spent two nights at the shelter and apparently through his medical records i assume that they saw that he was not up to date, according to the government, on his immunizations. So they decided to give my son 13 vaccinations at once without a court order, without a warrant, without our consent. They also forced my son through a full skeletal survey which is basically an x-ray of all the bones in your body uh-huh, to make sure that there weren't any broken bones in him
0: mm-hmm.
1: again no warrant no consent no court order that's
0: a violation of the 14th amendment
1: <laughs> absolutely
0: <laughs> oh and my they performed
1: goodness. what they call an anal wink test on my son that sounds invasive it is invasive and it's for sexual abuse where there weren't any sexual abuse allegations to begin with. But it just goes to show you that they were just digging for anything that they could pin on this.
0: So that they could take your children.
1: Right. And of course this everything the, came out negative.
0: <laughs> this is, this is what, this is what happened with the angel mom that I spoke to with her mm-hmm. granddaughter. They were, uh, drug testing these these folks um, and everybody turned up negative except for the baby. Mm. The baby came up positive for the drugs but yeah. nobody around her who could have introduced right. her to them had any drugs in their system so mm-hmm. I- this is sounding eerily familiar to me if you can, if yeah. you can tell. Um, there was a senator who Uh, was digging into certain things regarding cps i don't know Mm -hmm. if you heard of it she was murdered
1: yes before she could tell this
0: before she could tell the story and then this was this angel mom's story was part of her story um basically it was a con job to take her grandchild yeah and she's she hasn't seen her grandchild since and neither has anyone else come to think on it.
1: It's
0: so um, sad. So, uh, yeah, they had her. They had her uh, moved out of state. Yeah. And things of that nature. Uh, so many things, and I. Am, that's what I am so grateful to hear your story. Is so many things could have happened to your baby. I know. If I know. you didn't have divine intervention. Absolutely. Taking care of you and having because I heard I've heard these other stories. I yes. know these stories and. Yeah and they break the heart yes then you're hurt uh Mm -hmm. this senator had uh evidence that she had a laptop Mm -hmm. that was that her husband accidentally left in her their home yeah that was just filled with things that were just honestly quite disturbing she hid it yeah and then she was before she could come forward publicly and tell her story and blow the whistle on cps and the judicial system in, in her state and mm-hmm. the the legislation and the walmart and all of that yeah she was murdered and my question to you with your with all your advocacy work and all of that do you ever is there do you ever fear for your safety is there has there been any reason to fear uh, for your safety
1: I don't, I really don't. I truly believe that this is my calling, mm-hmm. and that God did not bring me this far to you know not complete what He started. You know that's what He promises in His word that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, and I'm here to complete it. You know, I'm nothing but a servant to these parents and to these children. I know I was a lucky one. I know it. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't, you know, even though a lot of people have warned me, a lot of people, you yeah. know, watch out, be careful. And I know all these stories, I know. I've even spoken to my attorney about it, and I'm like, is it okay if I talk about this? Yeah. And he basically told me, you know, you can't mess with their funding, so they're not really concerned about you. It's the people who can mess with the money is who they're, who they target usually. So
0: that senator,
1: in yes, other words, because exactly. she can mess yep.
0: with their, she can definitely could have messed yep. with their money. That's sad. Right. That really yep. is. Um, yep. I'm going to give you a, like a five minutes or so. Go ahead mm-hmm. and just speak from your heart and just talk and tell people, uh, do your advocacy here for <laughs> us and, and share with us. So go right on ahead take it over.
1: Okay. Well, I'll just say, you know, for those of you who are out there, and who have heard of foster care, who have even thought about fostering yourself. You no, know, I don't blame the foster parents because they really don't know what's going on. I would claim ignorance as well, but now I am ignorant no more. And please, if you, know, you are approached by a social worker, if you hear stories about these terrible parents, would you please help this child? Please take it with a grain of salt because these people are known to lie openly so that they can take away these children so that they can get their money. They have to justify their existence in the system. Mm -hmm. If there aren't enough children in the system, the funding gets cut, then they will lose their jobs. And that's really what's at stake for them. It's not about the best interest of the child. Okay, the best interest of the child is to be with their parents. It's to be with the people who love them, who wanted them, and people might argue there are drug-addicted parents, there are alcoholics. That does not mean the parent does not love their child. And we should be helping those parents. All this money that's going towards foster care, why not take this money and help these parents with rehab programs, with drug addiction programs, with whatever help they need? That's how you help the child. Is by helping the parent. Ripping children away from their homes will leave that child with a void in their life for the rest of their life. And by the grace of God, you know, I do believe in God, my children have been restored. But it took my son close to a year, my 20 month old son at the time. He was biting himself, he was pinching himself, he kept rejecting me. He didn't know if he could trust me, right? In his mind, I abandoned him. And I had to come to terms with that. You know, I had to pray about it. I was building a wall against my son because of his words, his rejection. I couldn't take it anymore. Uh But I knew I can't build a wall against my son. He's the victim here. I'm a victim Mm -hmm. too, but I'm the adult in this story. So God, please help me. How do I help my son? And how am I gonna help other families in the future with this? So I asked my son, "Do do remember when your auntie from Brazil came to take care of you. And the first words out of his mouth were, mommy, why did you leave? So at that point, I knew he knew. And he was only 20 months old. People think that children don't remember things. Yes, they do. I showed him the pictures of his brother in the hospital. I told him everything. Like they thought that mommy did this to you. And he immediately looked at me, mommy, you would never hurt me. I said, I know David, but they thought they were doing their job and we are not going to let them get away with it. Okay. We are going to fight these people. And he looked at me, you're going to hit them, mommy. I said, yes, we're going to hit them with a stack of papers. That's how we fight. (laughs) And he has been part of the entire process. And When I had that talk with him, it was a complete 180. He stopped rejecting me. He stopped hitting himself. He stopped the aggression. He just needed the closure to know that we did not abandon him, that he was loved. This was not our choice and it was not his fault. Now picture the children who are in foster care, who do not have that talk with their parents, who will never have that talk with their parents. They're just left thinking, my parent left me, didn't fight for me, and here I am in this world, what the heck? Right. And then we wonder why society turns out the way it does, why they do go into human trafficking, prostitution, drug addiction, rebellion, I mean, homelessness, you name it, you know, they're all out there, and it's because of the destruction of the family. And this has been the devil's work from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. Cain <ma'am>. and Abel, <laughs> anyone? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So that's really what I will advocate for is for the family, for the restructuring of the family. Mm-hmm. You no, know, the government does not belong in the family. You no, know, leave our families alone. <laughs> right. And for those cases, those small cases that children do need help, where the parents do need help and they are addicted and the children are not safe with them. I get that, but you know, place them with family, right? Do your due diligence, take care of the child. Don't just rip them away from their family and then six months later they're put up for adoption. That is not how you help a child.
0: Mary Magdalene, New Right Network. This has been Right Now with Rachel Bruno. Follow Rachel Bruno at Rachel Bruno on Twitter. Follow me at Miss Mary Cafefe. Follow (laughs) New Right Network at New Right Network.
1: You've been listening to New Right Network. Mobilizing, countering, energizing. Online at newrightnetwork.com.